0: Genesis chapter 16 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee, I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes, the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. When Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that your holy inspired word would find a home in our hearts and ears this morning. I know, Father, that we are engrafted by the engrafted word if we're born again. I, I know that the author of this book resides within every believer's heart. And I pray that the Spirit of God would take this word, His sword, and wield it to great effect and to great results in our hearts and minds. I don't know everybody that's here. I don't know their situation. I don't know what they're going through. But there's not a person under the sound of my voice. But Lord, you know the numbers of hairs upon their head. You know what they're experiencing. You know what they're facing. And I, Lord, believe that Your Word is sufficient to speak to their lives and to their hearts. And I just pray and commit us this morning unto that venture. We ask, Lord, that You'd receive much glory through it. Father, we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me say, before I even get into preaching this morning, that my uh, uh, intention is to draw an application from this passage. Uh, When I believe, and I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. I believe in this passage we can learn some things if we think of Abraham as a typical believer. Now, he wasn't a typical believer, although at this stage in his life, he knew the Lord personally. That happened in chapter 15. He believed the Lord, believed in the Lord. The Bible says it was counted to him for righteousness. But let me say, I don't believe in any way that Abram was a victim of what transpired here. Let me say that I believe that Sarah, despite all of her faults, uh, was just as much included in the promise of God and had just as much, some of you women say maybe more, amen, to do with the uh, plan of God being furthered through the birth of Isaac than even Abraham did. And my intention is not to cast her as the villain in this story. And then Hagar, Hagar, who is a young woman who I think probably was a victim in this situation, I think if we think of Sarah as the devil seeking to tempt Abraham, if we think of Abraham as the believer, and if we think of Hagar as the object of temptation, I believe we can learn some things. Now again, let me say, I believe in many ways Hagar was a victim. But as we seek to make an application of this passage, and we seek to understand what it speaks to your life and mine, If we can think of it in those terms, I believe there's a lot of truth that is contained in this passage. Abraham is a believer being faced with temptation. Sarah is uh, the tempter or temptress, we might say. And she is trying to tempt Abram to make the wrong decision in his life. And Hagar is the object or the resource of temptation that Sarah is using. She is placing Hagar... By the way, I don't know necessarily that the idea was simply that she was a beautiful woman or a young woman or an attractive woman. The Bible talks about how attractive Sarah was. But rather, I think that Hagar represented a shortcut in the plan of God. And Abraham was all too ready to uh, yield to that temptation. And I want us to notice three thoughts this morning, they're contained, if we look at these verses, there's six verses, and if we if we divide them by twos, if we look at the first two, and then the next two, and then the last two, I believe we find three important thoughts and truths that can inform us about temptation. I'd have you know this, the Bible says that no temptation hath taken us, but such as is common to man. You might look at somebody else that's made a mess of their life and say, "Oh, I'd never do that, but every temptation is common to man. The fact is, you might not yield to the same temptation that they yielded to, but brother and sister, I promise you, the devil has something with your name on it that will appeal to you. And if you're not careful, if you're not vigilant, then you too can make shipwreck of your life just like they have. Ain't nobody, listen now, ain't nobody above Temptation. Uh, listen, your sweet little old meemaw, your grandma, even she's tempted to do wrong. Your sainted mother is tempted to do wrong. That little precious child, uh, you think they're precious because they ain't learned to talk yet. Somebody say amen to that a precious child has a sin nature just like you and I, and they are tempted to do wrong. Everybody faces temptation. So we better learn what to look for. We better learn how to combat it. We better learn what the devil's up to if we don't want to be made prey to his desires. I want us to look at these three thoughts, and I'll go ahead and tell you what they are. In the first two verses, we see the approach Of the tempter. The devil's not going to come and try to kick in your front door. He is going to appear as an angel of light. He's going to appear as a friend. He is going to appear as an ally. And he is going to try to convince you that listening to him is in your best interest. And then we see in the next two verses, verse 3 and 4, the acquiescing to the tempter. Abraham made the wrong decision flat out. And let me say this, uh, I believe Abraham bared more guilt than even Sarah in this matter. You say, why do you believe that, preacher? He was the head of the home. Hey, he was the head of the home! The fact is, we oftentimes, we like to pick and choose when it comes to spiritual truths. Amen? And that listen, there's a lot of uh, ladies, a lot of wives that want to say, well, it's my husband's job to meet my needs, to take care of me. But then when it's time to submit and respect and obedience, they don't want to do it. And there's a lot of men, by the way, uh, that want to say, well, I'm the head of the home and I get to run things and I get to make the decision. But then when the bottom falls out, they don't want to take responsibility for it. You can't pick and choose, my friend. It's not about what you want to be in the home, it's about what God's made you in the home. And Abraham bore more guilt than even Sarah did in this situation. By the way, I believe if we read our Bibles correctly, that he paid a steeper price than she did because of this. As far as we know, Sarah had no affinity for Ishmael whatsoever, but Abraham loved Ishmael and he loved Isaac and he had to see what has unfolded for 3,500 years since this mistake. So Abraham bore a great and steep price. Because he acquiesced, he gave in, he yielded to temptation. And then finally, in the last two verses, we have the sad testimony of the aftermath of temptation. Listen, there's consequences to how we live. There's consequences to how you live. You're free to do as you please, but you're not free from the consequences. Every one of us has to live with the consequences, with the fruit of our actions and our behavior. Look with me at the first two verses in this chapter. And I want you to think with me about the approach... Of the tempter. How did Sarah approach Abraham? What was her frame of mind? What was her ideal? How did she speak to him? Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. Now Sarah, and I say Sarah, and you're going to hear me say Sarah and probably hear me say Sarai. Uh, Sarai is what she's known as at this point. She Later her name was changed to Sarah. Abram was known as Abram at this point. Later on his name is changed to Abraham. Uh, if that's going to make you mad, you might as well leave now because I'm going to make that mistake throughout the message. So if that's going to bother you, I apologize. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Now, before we even get into how she approached him, I want you to notice first off the reality of temptation. This is not how Sarah sought to present the, the proposition to Abraham. She thought, she sought to make it seem as though it was justified, as though it was reasonable, as though it was their only choice. But I want you to notice an, an interesting exchange, an interesting thought in verse number one. What does the Bible say about Sarah? Sarah, Abram's wife, bear him no children. I find it interesting that the term children is in the plural there. God had not necessarily promised them children, but God had promised them a child. Uh, Sarah had no means at this moment in her life to produce that child. In other words, what was the object of Abraham's happiness, Sarah could not at that moment give him. But what did she have? She bare him no children. Then it says, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. This is a very simple proposition she's making. Abraham, I can't give you children. I know you want children. But though I do not have the ability to bear children, I do have this maid and I can give her to you and you can bear children with her. And she says, those children will be our children. I will obtain kids through this process. Now listen, the devil's going to try to paint up sin every way that he can. But I want you to notice very simply what sin is. God had promised Abraham that he would give him a child. Uh, God didn't promise him children, and God certainly uh, didn't promise that they would come through Hagar. God had promised to supernaturally, miraculously give them a child. What Sarah is proposing here is not part of God's plan. And it reminds me that sin, at the heart of it, and I wrote three things down. Number one, sin is trading God's plan for your own plan God says my desire for your life is for you to walk in holiness to walk in righteousness to walk in 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 my image and to be representative of who I am and what I am my desire is that just as I made man in my image that I might remake you through the new birth in the image of Christ and that you might be a testimony to the world around you that's God's plan there are a lot of things in God's plan, details that are pertinent and distinct and and uh, proprietary to your life and mine. Listen, it's God's will right now, at least, that I'm in the home I'm in. Listen, I love everybody that goes to church here. But can I just tell you, it ain't God's will for you to live in that house. It's God's will for me to live in that house. We bought a car just last year and uh, it was a blessing. First time we've ever really took out a payment and bought a car. We've all just drove whatever we can scramble enough money together to buy. And, and we love it. It, it. It's it's everything. We, it ain't no Mercedes, Benz or nothing, but it, it's nice. We like it and it's nice for us. Amen. We we enjoy it. I believe and I prayed about it and I sought God's will. And I, before I ever signed that paper, you better know it's God's will before you sign that paper. Somebody say amen to that. I signed and said, this is God's. It ain't God's will for you to own that car. I love you, but it ain't God's will for you, it's God's will for me to own it. But now let me say this, I believe it's God's will for me to walk in righteousness. I believe it's also God's will for you to walk in righteousness. I believe what is sin to me is sin to you. I believe what is right to me is right to you. And this notion of relative or situational morality is of the world and of hell and of the devil. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And when we sin, what we're saying is, Lord, I know what your plan is for my life, but I don't want to do things your way. I desire to do things my way. This, by the way, is part of what the Bible means when it talks about repenting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe that the repentance that is uh, nascent to salvation necessarily has to do with saying, well, this is some bad habit that I have and I'm going to quit doing this bad habit and then God's going to be pleased with me. Rather, sin at its very core is self-reliance and self-dependence. It's saying, I'm going to get to heaven my way. I believe I'm right. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what God says. Repentance is saying, I'm done trusting me. I'm going to start trusting Him. Now, that does involve throwing away your liquor bottle. It does involve throwing away your dope. It does involve uh, severing immoral relationships. I'm not saying that's not a part of it, but I'm saying there's lots of folks uh, January 1st that tried to turn over new leaves, but they didn't get a new life. You've got to turn away from that old life and say, Lord, I desire not my plan, but your plan. And then sin is the trading of God's pleasure for our own. When we walk in righteousness, we're doing it. And listen, there's pleasure in righteousness. You'll have more fun serving God than you could ever have walking in sin. But at the very heart of it, we do it not because it's pleasant, but because it pleases the Lord. We're trying to do all things well-pleasing in His sight. Sin is saying, I don't care about what God wants. I don't care about God's pleasure. I care about my pleasure. And then sin is the trading of God's wisdom for our own. It's saying, God says that I should not do this, but I think I know better than God. That's the reason in the Garden of Eden, when the, the, the tree that they were forbidden from eating was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan said to Eve in the garden, says, if you eat of this truth, this fruit, I'll get it said here in a second, this tree and this fruit, you'll become as gods knowing good and evil. And he's right. They ate of it and they immediately knew what sin was. The appeal, however, in that was saying, hey, listen, I, I, God says what's right and wrong, but I'd rather that I decided what was right and wrong. She had no handmaid. Or she had no children, but she had not an handmaid. And she was saying, here's what we're going to do, Abraham. We're going to trade God's plan for ours. God being pleased for us being pleased. God's wisdom. He says he knows best. But Abraham, we think we've found a better way of doing this. No matter how you dress up sin, that's the reality of it. And then number two, I want you to notice the resource for the temptation. She says, I don't have any children, Abraham, but I have a handmaid, an Egyptian named Hagar. This is the first time we're introduced to Hagar in Scripture. And she really does not feature very prominently. You find her here in chapter number 16. You find her in chapter 21. And that's about it. Her name is mentioned in other places in Scripture. But this young lady would bear upon the world's course of history. The child she would have with Abraham, of them would become a great and mighty nation. And that nation is many nations today. And they are at the very heartbeat of most global news. She was a very important figure. What can we learn about her? Think with me first about her source. She's Hagar the Egyptian. Now, i got no problem with folks from Egypt. Somebody say amen to that. i got no problem with Egyptians. But in the Bible, Egypt is always associated with sin and the world. Anybody ever went to Egypt, they always went down into Egypt. And by the way, every time somebody went to Jerusalem, they went up to Jerusalem. It didn't matter if they were further north than Jerusalem. The way the Bible says it is, they went up to Jerusalem. And that's representative of two systems, of a heavenly system and an earthly system. Egypt was representative of sin. And we find that Egypt was an important part of Hagar's life. Hagar was from Egypt. She was an Egyptian. Later on when she leaves, she always ran back towards Egypt. Let me tell you something. Sin will always pull you back towards Egypt. Every time she fled, she never went east, she never went north, she never went southeast, she always went west, southwest. She always, when she fled, ran back towards Egypt. Like a dog returns to his vomit, like a pig returns to the wallowing, the old man will always return back in that direction. Always. It's instinctive. She fled back towards Egypt. Later on, when she took a wife for Ishmael, she took a wife out of Egypt for him and finally Hagar's descendants the descendants of Ishmael settled near Egypt let me say this sin no matter what it looks like no matter how we dress it up sin is sin there are things that all of society may legislate it all of society may excuse it all of society may applaud it but that does not make it right You could take Hagar out of Egypt, but you couldn't take Egypt out of Hagar. It's just who she was. And again, not necessarily an indictment of her personally, but representatively speaking, you can dress sin up, but sin is still sin. We know it's sin if it's come out of Egypt. Again, figuratively speaking, if it's come out of the world system. But then think about this with me. Think about her story. Has it ever dawned on you? Have you ever asked the question, how did Hagar get here? Uh, Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. He's from further east. He has come west to dwell in the land of Canaan. And here's this young lady. Uh, She was not married. She had no family other than possibly parents back in Egypt. She could not have traveled all this distance on her own. Uh, Whenever she is uh, ran out of the house, she goes and sits down beside a fountain and gives up because she cannot survive on her own. How did she get in the company of Abraham? Back in chapter number 12, first time we're introduced to Abraham, uh, he hears the voice of God, he steps out in faith, he comes to the land of Canaan, he starts building altars and worshipping the true God of heaven, and pretty soon a famine sets in. And Abraham makes what is one of the first predominant mistakes in his life. When the famine comes, he runs from it. And he goes down into Egypt. You've probably heard the story. You've probably read it. You've probably heard it preached about how that Abraham goes down there and he's afraid they're going to kill him and take Sarah to be their own wife uh, because of how beautiful she was, young she was. She is 65 years old, by the way. That ought to give somebody some hope. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, so they lie about Sarah. And they say, well, that's my sister. And then, of course, God appears to Pharaoh in a dream and says, you touch her, I'll kill you. And uh, whenever Pharaoh realizes it, he runs him out of Egypt. I don't know about you, and I'm not trying to say anything the Bible doesn't, but I think it is at least a reasonable thought that probably Hagar came back with them on this trip. She came out, listen to this, of a season of rebellion in Abraham's life. I'm talking about how you can identify what sin is. One, if the Bible says it's sin, it's sin. And there's no way that you can get around it. But another good indicator that something is sin is if it has uh, all of a sudden cropped up during a season of rebellion in your life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I do the wrong thing. Sometimes I get twisted up on God and I get mad and I get bitter and I get rebellious. I'm as prone to it as you are, maybe more so. And during those seasons of backsliddenness, of disobedience, of rebellion, often the devil will try to plant things in my life and cause them to take root. And then when I'm trying to walk with God, hey, listen, how many of you, you don't have to raise a hand but raise a heart and raise an amen to this if you've found it to be true. How many of you have found that oftentimes the hardest relationships and friends to deal with are those that you had when you didn't know God or when you were not walking with God. Then all of a sudden you're trying to get your life right, you're trying to do right, you're trying to walk right, and they're whispering in your ear and they're trying to pull you back towards Egypt. They've come from a time and season of darkness in your life. Now, I'm not saying you ought to hate them, but I'm saying you ought to recognize the threat and the danger there. I see in this passage the resource of the temptation. Then I want you to notice the rationale for her temptation. She makes a pretty weighty charge. Look what it says in verse number 2. Sarah said unto Abraham, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. That's a bold statement. She blames God for her barrenness. Now, I would ask you a simple question this morning. Was it God that had restrained her? She's 65 years old. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there just does come a season, ladies, in life where bearing children is probably not a reality. Y'all are scaring me. Y'all getting quiet. Somebody back here tying a noose getting ready to lynch me up. The reality is this, her barrenness was not a product of God's displeasure. Her barrenness was a product of her natural condition. You know how how many people have said this before? And this is a big line in the sodomite community. They say, well, I was just made this way. Listen, I, I don't care. I don't care if people applaud it. I don't care if they give you Grammys and Emmys and whatever else for it. You were not born that way. You were born a sinner, no question, just like I was born a sinner. There may be something about that lifestyle that appeals to you when it doesn't appeal to me. But you have chosen that way of living. The fact is, you can say, well, and they'll say, well, God made me to desire this. No, sin made you to desire that. Your flesh made you to... And by the way, that's not just true of Sodomites. It's true of people that are unfaithful to uh, to uh, their, their marriage vows. It's true of people uh, that choose a path of alcohol or of drugs. Uh, listen, those things may tempt you. I understand that. But the reality is, God didn't put you in a position to sin. That's not a product of what the Lord's done. And you can blame it on God if it makes you feel better, but that won't change the reality of the situation. And you hear people say, well, God put me in this position where I had no choice. That is directly, completely contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture. There hath no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But God will with the temptation make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. God has never put anybody in a situation where their only choice was to sin. I'm not saying you won't have to pay a price to remain righteous. Listen, I'm not saying uh, that you might not have to give up your coat to keep your integrity. But never is your only choice to sin. But she says, the Lord did this to me. All kinds of things get blamed on God. And there's a lot of people, and very often the devil will come and he'll say, well, you wouldn't want to do this if God hadn't put you in this situation. A lot of times folks will be having marital problems, having trouble in their home, and the devil will come along and say, well, if God would fix your marriage, you wouldn't be tempted to go after this other person. Or or sometimes people say, uh, you you know, uh, they'll be running on hard financial times and they'll be tempted to uh, employ deceptive practices or outright steal. And the devil will come along and say, well, listen, you can't help it. If God would not leave you in an impoverished condition, then you wouldn't have to do this. Those are whispers straight out of the caverns of hell. God didn't put you in this position to make you sin. God's doing everything He can to elevate you out of that temptation. And the fact is, God was actively working at this moment. He was going still to give Sarah a child. Even after all this, He gave Sarah a child. She said, the Lord restrained me from bearing. No, the Lord was the only reason you ever were going to bear. People say, well, the Lord's the reason my life is such a mess. No, the Lord's the only reason your life will ever be anything but a total mess. Don't blame what is a natural condition upon the Lord and impugn and indict His compassion But the devil tries to do that. Adam did the same thing. Whenever he was caught in his sin, the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. That didn't fly in the garden, and it don't fly today. Then I want you to notice the racket of the temptation. She says this, verse number 2. I pray thee. That's very flowery language, isn't it? It's very proper. That's a good way to dress up infidelity. I pray thee. Go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. You see, this was a lie. It was a lie because there were three things that were implied. Number one, it was implied that her permission was acceptable. In other words, she was saying, Abraham, I'm not going to be mad. There it went again. This did this in Sunday school. Listen, I would say it's because I'm preaching so hard, but really it's because I'm fat. Somebody say amen to that. No, don't say amen to that. It's liable to happen again before it's all said and done. Brother Jeremy back there said, I'm just keeping you in suspense. Amen. It is suspense. <laughs> Listen, she was trying to say, Abraham, I won't be mad at you. In fact, you're doing this for me. As if to imply, I know it's wrong, Abraham, but I say it's Okay. I say it's okay. It's funny, all of a sudden we start taking the devil's authority and permission to do wrong when we decide and desire to do wrong. The fact is, nobody has the authority to change what is true and what is right. Like the ancient word of the Persian and Median kings, it changeth not. And just because society says it's okay, that don't mean it's okay. And just because the whole world will sit around and clap, That doesn't mean that it's okay. Just because you can get on social media and put it out there and say, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and you're inevitably, you're going to have some people that are in the same mess that you're in that'll sidle up beside you and say, oh, that's good for you. God bless you. That's wonderful. That's good that you're doing that. What a hero you are. How courageous you are. It doesn't matter how many people applaud your sin, it's still wrong. They don't have the authority to grant you permission to unrighteousness. She said, I pray thee, go in unto my maid. Number two, uh, this was part of her lie, that her plan was attainable. You're going to go in unto Hagar, you're going to bear a child by her, and then we're going to have a happy home. And that's always how the devil paints it up, man. Every liquor commercial always has all these fit, attractive, smiling people. Go down to the liquor stores. Uh, Tell me if you see a beach volleyball team down there. Hey, go down to the hospital ward where they're hooked up and trying to get cleaned out. Because of what wickedness and sin has done to him. And ask yourself if that looks like the liquor commercials. She tried to say, hey, everything's going to be wonderful. It's going to be, it's going to be gracious. It's going to be amazing. But it does not turn out that way. And then she told the lie that her purpose was noble. What she was saying is this. Abraham, we deserve to have children. God has told us we cannot have children because he's made me barren. In fact, God had said the opposite. God had promised Abraham he was going to have a child. But she's saying, Abraham, you deserve children. Go in unto her. I deserve children, Abraham. Go in unto her that I may obtain children. The devil will tell you that you have a right to enjoy yourself. And the truth of the matter is, the only thing we have a right to is a place in hell. Anything else we've gotten in life, we've gotten it by grace. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we somehow have purchased it, but because God in His grace has afforded it to us. And then I want you to notice, I gotta move on for another one of these pops. I, I, I want you to look at verse three and four. The Bible says this, and Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. It's interesting the way that God says it. It's almost like he's highlighting Sarah's actions. But that's because first he had said in verse number two that Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. You, You know what you'll find? When you make the decision to sin, the devil will make a way for you to do it. It was not until Abram hearkened unto Sarah that all of a sudden the attention and focus shifts to Sarah. Abram made the decision to do wrong, and once he did, the Bible tells us how it happened. We see the acquiescing of the tempter. Notice the season first off, after he had been ten years in the land of Canaan. Now, here's what the devil tells you to think. Ten years I've been walking with God and I still don't have no children. Ten years I've been living for the Lord and still I have no children. Uh, Ten years that I've been walking on faith and nothing more and still I don't have any children. But there's another way to flip that thing around. For ten years, think with me for a moment, his past experience. For ten years he had walked with God and known number one God's promise. For ten years he had seen God keep his promises. And he had no reason to believe that God wouldn't keep him. Now, for ten years, he had seen God's providence. God had made a place for him in the wilderness and prospered him. For ten years, he had seen God's provision. God had made sure Abraham didn't miss a single meal. And for ten years, he had known God's power. God had worked mightily in his life. You know, the fact is, we try to pretend like we've been deceived. But most of us, in fact, I'd say all of us that know the Lord, we've seen enough of God to know better. I'm going to say it again. Most of us, in fact, all of us that are saved, we've seen enough of God to know better than to believe the devil's lies. I'm not saying I don't sometimes give in. I'm not saying that you don't sometimes give in. I'm saying when we do, it's not because we don't know. It's because we choose to do it. Think about his past experience. But then I want you to think about his recent experience. Chapter number 15. You don't have to turn there, but in chapter number 15, Abraham knows, comes to know God in a way that he had never known Him before. He enters into a covenant relationship with God. And in that passage, the Bible says that righteousness is accounted, is imputed unto him. In other words, in some ways, Abraham had for 10 years seen God's track record. And he had no excuse. But in other ways, I want you to notice that temptation came moments after a great spiritual breakthrough in his life. You know what you'll find? That with every mountain, a valley is soon to follow. With every victory, the enemy refreshes his force and comes back. And even when the devil tempted the Lord Jesus after it was done, he only departed for a season. You don't never graduate out of temptation. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've seen. Hey, listen, I started pastoring at 22 years old. I heard everything you could imagine about how I didn't know, and one day you'll get older, and then you'll understand, and this, that. You know what I found in eight years? I found out that people is people is people is people. And that God's Word is true whether you're 22 or 222, and that people never age out of wrongdoing. The devil will always tempt them. You ain't never going to get mature enough where you ain't tempted. And the moment you think you are is the moment you are at your most vulnerable. I see in this passage the season, but then I want you to notice the success. Look what it says in verse number 4. He went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. I find it interesting. Uh, Again, we have no reason to believe that it was the carnal intimacy that Abraham or Sarah desired in this situation. What they desired was a child. And so Abraham goes in unto Hagar. If I'm reading my Bible right, it seems like after the the deed was done, the one time she conceived and was with child. Once Abraham committed himself to wrongdoing, God stepped out of the way and said, Alright, Abraham, if this is what you want, you'll get it. Notice the success of this temptation. Let me tell you, we have this idea sometimes that God is going to protect us from all of the things in life that seek to derail us. And the truth is, God does protect us from those things outside of us and those things beyond our control that seek to derail us. But if you make your mind up to make a wreck of your life, God won't stop you from doing it. If you make your mind up to eat of the fruit of that tree, God won't jerk it out of your hand. If you make up your mind to commit that sin, God will let you do it. And you can't turn around and blame God and say, Oh, what a mess I'm in. A lot of people do that. Instead of saying, what a mess I made, they say, what a mess God made. When the fact is, it wasn't God that made the mess. If you make your mind up to do wrong, you'll find a way to do it. How many times do you hear me say, when we're talking about revival and special meetings, you'll have to be there on purpose because the devil will make sure you're not there by accident. By the same token, you're going to have to purpose to do the right thing because the devil will make sure you don't accidentally do the right thing. And if you allow, if you open that door, he'll allow you to walk through it. And then I want you to notice the sorrow The Bible says, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. After the sin was committed, the lie crumbled. There would be no happy home. Now remember, prior to this portion, Sarah's saying, you're going to go in, you're going to have a child with Hagar, we're going to have a happy home, Uh, me and her, we're going to get along fine. We're going to get along fine. I'm going to be a mother to this child. You're going to be this child's father. Everybody's going to be happy and we'll have accomplished what God wanted but done it in our own time and in our own way. And that's what the devil says. He always says it's all going to work out. Let me tell you something. People in your life that are always saying, hey, it'll all work out. You better watch people like that. I found that most of the time what that means is whenever uh, everything falls out the bottom, they're going to run and leave you to work it out. I've known people, oh, don't worry, preacher. It'll all work out. Hey, it only works out if God works it out. It'll all work out, but it didn't. Immediately after it was done, the lie crumbled. And we learned that Abraham would be no husband to Hagar. We have, by the way, no reason to believe that there was ever another moment of intimacy between Abraham and Hagar after this point. I don't want to get ahead of my outline. But let me just say that after the deed was done, he had no stomach for her. Even later on, when when the affection of Abraham is talked about, it's always said that he loved Ishmael. Never once says that he had any affinity for Hagar ever again. Let me tell you something. The moment, the moment, uh, the Bible says this about sin, that it's sweet to the lips, but it's bitter in the belly. Uh, You may enjoy it in the moment, but the moment it's done, that bitterness will hit your gut, and you'll have no stomach for it. Abraham would be no husband to Hagar Hagar would be no friend to Sarah. What it appears happened, and this, this is the only thing that explains the next two verses, is that once Hagar realized she was with child, she said, huh, I don't have to do what Sarah says. I'm the one bearing the child here. I've got more influence, I've got more importance in this home than she does. You know, you'll find that even though the devil promises a happy, harmonious end, that never will the old man and the new man ever find harmony. They'll always be at odds. The, 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 Bible, the Scripture does not say in vain that the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. The old man and the new man, they're never going to get along. It don't matter what the devil says. And then Sarah would be no mother to Ishmael. Sarah was the one later on that would, both in this instance, that drove the pregnant Hagar out into the wilderness to die, and would later on tell Abraham, say, cast out this bondwoman and her son. This was supposed to be the woman that would love this child, would nurture this child, would raise this child. But I found this, once the devil gets you to do wrong, he'll quit helping you. He ain't got no interest in helping you after that. And all you have is sorrow. Empty, hollow, non-satisfying sorrow. And I found in my life that every time I've yielded to temptation, the moment it was done, I just felt hollow and empty inside. Never once have I committed sin and walked away from it, saying, boy, I feel good about life. I always feel like a low-down, dirty dog that knew better, that knew what was right, but chose what was wrong in light of it. I see in this passage the acquiescing of the tempter, or to the tempter. But then finally, I want you to notice the aftermath. And I'm going to go through this very quick, or I'm going to say I'm going to do that so you won't get mad and walk out. (laughs) Verse number 5, Sarah said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. Boy, that's a change of tune, isn't it? My wrong be upon thee. Now, she's not saying the wrong that we have done is your fault. Rather, look at the next phrase. She said, I've given my maid into thy bosom, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. What she is saying is this, Abraham, I'm being done wrong by Hagar, and that's your fault. We find three things in the aftermath of Abraham hearkening to the voice of temptation. I want you to notice first off there was a condemnation. It's it's almost comical. After it's all said and done, Sarah turns around and looks at him and says, what a mess you've made. Look at all this that you've done. What were you thinking, Abraham? Some of y'all have had conversations like that in in marriage. (laughs) What were you thinking? And the reality is, the moment the devil gets you to yield to temptation, you know what he's going to do? He's going to turn around and say, what a low-down dog you are. You knew better than to do... You see, he only has interest in fanning your ego when he's trying to appeal to you to do wrong. The moment it's over, he becomes the accuser of the brethren. And he'll turn around and look at you and say, what a mess you've made. And then you've got the Spirit of God telling you you've done wrong. You've got the Word of God reminding you you've done wrong. You've got your own uh, natural or or your own spiritual man that's been grieved by this telling you you've done wrong. And now you've got the devil joining in and saying, they're right. You are a low down dirty dog. The moment that it's all said and done, there won't be anything but condemnation. Bible says there's no condemnation. To them that walk in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation Uh, to them. uh, I'm going to read it. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to read it because I don't want to misquote it because I want you to get it just right in Romans chapter number 5. Paul says this, there is therefore, no he doesn't in chapter number (laughs) 5. He says, therefore, being justified by faith. Uh, He says in uh, chapter number 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, that's saved. And number two, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How many times do you hear people use that to say, there's no condemnation. There is condemnation. There's condemnation towards those that are in Christ Jesus, but walk in the flesh. Not condemnation in the sense of sending you to hell, but condemnation in the sense of condemning your life and your actions. I see that there was condemnation. Number two, I find this interesting. Look what she says at the end of the passage. The Lord judge between me and thee." Now what she's saying is, Abraham, I feel like you have wronged me, and the Lord's going to judge between us. But I find it interesting that the very person that was recommending sin to him is now the one invoking the judgment of God. This statement is the only bit of truth that Sarah speaks unto Abraham in this whole thing. And I find that there's a confession. Sarah reminds Abraham that God will judge him for his sin. This is the only truth that she spoke to him. The devil will only tell you the truth after you've made the wrong decision. He'll only tell you the whole truth after you've made the wrong decision. And finally, I want you to notice in the last phrase, last verse, But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Afterwards, Abraham wanted nothing to do with Hagar. We have no scriptural reason to believe that Abraham was ever familiar with Hagar again. He found no satisfaction in her. His home was in ruin. The descendants of Ishmael to this day persecute the descendants of Isaac. For 3,500 years, Abraham's sin has echoed through the ages. The voice of Sarah has cackled through the ages, figuratively speaking, through this sin. To this day, uh, the Middle East is still a roiling, boiling, seething pot and cauldron of violence and hate because it's occupied by people that are descendants of a wild man whose hand would be against his neighbors and every man's neighbor against him. The conflict that's going on right now in the Middle East is divinely predicted. And it all came from Abraham's sin. We see at the very end of it, the conflict. You know, let me just say this and I'm done. At the end of the day, you can give in to sin if you want. The Son has made you free, you're free indeed. You're free to do right, you're free to do wrong. You can choose the wrong path if you want to, but I promise you it's going to leave you dead and hollow and empty inside. It will not satisfy you. And the moment that you've given in, the voice that has tempted you will turn to condemn you and remind you how wrong what you did was. No telling how history would have been different if Abraham had not hearkened to the voice of Sarah. But because he hearkened to the voice of temptation, so much heartache, sorrow, and pain. No telling what a mess you can make your life if you allow the devil to whisper these things in your ear if you hearken to his voice.